Please join me now in our scripture reading for this morning. It is found in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. It is also found on page 11 in your bulletin. And as Troy told you, uh, don't be shocked when I stop reading at verse 16. That's not because I got tired. It's because he, he asked me to. So thank you for that. Um, but if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And know that God's word never returns to him without having accomplished what he designed it to do. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill all the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. These are the words of the living and true God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dan. We stopped reading at a point of tension in the story. Daniel and all the wise men of Babylon face imminent death. And there is no logical reason to believe 
that they will live. There is no one on earth who can help them, who can save them. When you're faced with a hopeless situation, when there appears to be no way out, no end in sight, what do you do? How do you survive? Where do you turn? Who or what do you trust in? Daniel and his three friends and all the wise men of Babylon are in a desperate situation. But this will not be a meaningless tragedy. Indeed, there are no meaningless tragedies for the lives of God's people. But instead, it will prove to be the context for God to display his glory, to magnify his wisdom and his power and his love, to comfort and deliver his people, indeed to bring to light the futility of pagan religion, the frailty of human power, and the firmness or foreverness, we may say, of God's kingdom. This was a message of hope and of comfort for God's people who were living in exile. And it's an enduring message of hope and of comfort for us, God's people, today. Beloved, where is your hope? What do you trust in? Who do you live for? There is a way that leads to bitter disappointment and death. And there is a way that leads to eternal joy and everlasting life. You can hope in God. You can trust his wisdom and his power and his love so that when Jesus, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. My aim is very simple this morning. From the text here in Daniel chapter 2, I want to encourage you, God's people, to trust in the Lord. To move us from fear and doubt to faith and trust in our wise powerful, loving, sovereign king. Last week I said that Psalm 26.3 was the perfect verse for Daniel chapter 1 and, and maybe perhaps even the entire book. Psalm 26.3, for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. I encourage you to memorize that, to meditate on it throughout our study. Well, this week there's a new verse, Luke 12, 32, where Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This morning we are going to move through all of chapter two. We'll take it in three separate sections and I wanna draw out a phrase from the text in each section that will help us follow the flow of the narrative and encourage us to trust in the Lord. So three phrases, no one can, a great God in heaven has, and a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Amen? We could stop right there. That's the sermon. Well, we won't do that. But the first section, verses 1 through 16, no one can. The chapter begins by laying out for us an impossible task, a desperate need. King Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream, and he wants to know the interpretation. He wants to know what it means. So verse 3, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Now, why would he want to know the dream? Some of you may know that in the ancient world, dreams were often thought to be shadows of future events. So a king's dream 
in particular had significance for the nation as a whole. And the, the interpretation was important so that the king could know what might come. And so he could prepare for whatever it was that would come. Think of Joseph with Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh had a dream and Joseph was able to get out of prison because the Lord gave Joseph the interpretation. And there were going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And now that they knew the interpretation, they could prepare. They could store up in those years of plenty so that they could live and lives would be saved during the years of famine. And that's exactly what happened. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He wants to know the interpretation. What does it mean? What do we need to do to get ready? And Nebuchadnezzar had a special task force just for this exact purpose. He had a a staff of magicians to help him, a, a staff of people skilled, you could say, in dream interpretation. The magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And so he gathers this task force to him. And they say to him in verse 4, the, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. Now just a quick side note here. Uh, from this point, chapter 2, verse 4, to the end of chapter 7, Daniel in the original is written in Aramaic. Now the vast majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But we have this section of Daniel that's written in Aramaic. And then chapters 8 through 12 will go back to Hebrew. And this actually will help us see the flow of the book. The outline of the book. We'll see how chapters 2 and 7 go together. Chapters 3 and 6 go together. And then chapters 4 and 5 go together. There's some parallel accounts there. So just remember that. I'm just pointing that out now. We'll come back to that later as we continue our study in these later chapters. But in verse 4, they say to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Oh no, it's not going to be that easy, is it? King Nebuchadnezzar, he tells them, you have to tell me not just the interpretation, but the dream itself. If you do, great reward coming to you. But if you do not, you're all going to die. Now, some think that maybe Nebuchadnezzar didn't remember his own dream. And that's why he says this to them, that don't just tell me the interpretation. You've got to tell me the dream itself. I think it's more likely that this is simply part of his test to see if they can give the true interpretation. Otherwise, they could just lie to him. They could just make something up to save their lives. And verse 9 seems to indicate this, where he says, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. He could confirm if they were right and then he could trust the interpretation. Now, how does his special task force respond? Remember, these are the best of the best. We might say the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers of dream interpretation. If anybody could do it, they can. But what do they say in verse 10? There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. And they're not wrong. They are in an impossible situation. They have a desperate need and they see no way out. They face death. And no human can save them. To them it seems like an unreasonable situation. A senseless affliction. Even Daniel will ask when the word comes to him, what's the urgency? Why is this so urgent? 
Beloved, in your despair, in your hopeless situations, where do you turn? How do you respond? Do you cry out in complaint? No one could do this. No one could handle this. Do you seek to numb the pain? Perhaps you turn to the idols of this world for distraction or for temporary relief. Or do you recognize those situations for what they are? An opportunity. The context for your great God to reveal his glory. For the name of your Savior to be praised. For God to show you his wisdom and his might and his love. Beloved, in those times, do you trust him? Just at the point where no one can, God does. Where no one can, God does. Verse 11. Hear those words again. The thing the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Hmm. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. You recognize that phrase? You can be sure we're going to come back to that. Remember what book we just studied? The Gospel of John. Do you remember how John 1 begins? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Come on now. We are going to come back to that for sure. But for right now, in our despair, do we turn to God? Do we depend on God? Daniel does. So let's read this next section, verses 17 through 30. I'll pick up the text and we'll read this together. Verses 17 through 30. Hear again the word of the Lord. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. 
Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. This is, again, the word of the Lord. Well, here we see in this second section, we see divine intervention. So we began with a desperate need, and now we see divine intervention. A great God in heaven has. Verse 28. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. When Daniel's life was in danger, what did he do? He called his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, fellow believers. He didn't consult the gurus of this world, the wisdom of this age. He went to his brothers in Christ, and he said, pray for me. We must pray together. He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven to pray, and they prayed, and God heard and answered Their prayer, God saved their lives. Don't miss that. What no man could do, God in heaven did. They sought mercy and God gave mercy. But God not only revealed the dream, he also revealed his glory. He made himself known as the true king, the superior king, the true ruler of heaven and earth. God alone was able to make the dream known and its interpretation known, and God alone is able to know the future and make it happen. And Daniel gives thanks to God in his wonderful prayer, beginning at verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. God has perfect wisdom. Now his wisdom and his ways, they are not always clear to us. They're not always clear to us, especially in our painful circumstances, in our sorrow, in our suffering, when we appear to be in what to us are hopeless situations. But take heart, beloved. You can trust in your wise Father. He always knows and chooses the best ends and also the best means to those ends. This can be a very hard and difficult truth for us to grasp, but it also can bring us great comfort. Your loving Father is on the throne. He knows what is best for his people, and he knows the best way to bring that about. And he has the power, the means, to carry out his perfect plans. Look again at Daniel's prayer, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So it is our God in heaven who is in control. He reigns over everything and everyone. He reigns over everything and everyone. He not only knows what is best for us, he's able to provide us with what is best. He has all wisdom and all might. And his love endures forever. 
He had mercy on Daniel and his friends. He saved their lives. So think about who our God is. He knows what is best. He has the power to provide what is best. And in his love, he wants what is best. You can trust him, beloved. King Nebuchadnezzar did not have this power or this wisdom or this love. But our God does. Verse 22 tells us that God knows what is in the darkness. He knows the pains, the sorrows, the sins, the troubles of your life. He knows what no one else knows. He knows the wickedness of this sinful world. He knows and he is able to overcome the darkness, to bring you out of the darkness. Beloved, the light dwells with him. God alone can shine the light, the truth, into the darkness of our world, into the darkness of our lives, and bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light, the kingdom of his beloved son. And that, beloved, is a kingdom that can never be destroyed. So let's turn now to the third and final section, verses 31 through 49. I'll read again the remainder of this chapter here. Daniel picks up and he says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and his interpretation sure. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Well, here we have a destined future. We had a desperate need. We had a divine intervention. And now we have a destined future, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this dream today. Daniel has a parallel one in chapter 7. And we'll see that and spend more time when we get to that chapter. But there are four kingdoms mentioned in this image in the dream. And we are told clearly that Nebuchadnezzar is the head. He is the head of gold, the image of gold. But we're not given any specifics about the other kingdoms. And, and we can get dragged down in trying to figure out what's that referring to? When's that going to happen? We won't do that here. We'll, we'll simply state they've been traditionally identified as Medo-Persia, and then Greece under Alexander the Great, and then Rome. But more important than identifying the specific kingdoms is seeing the big picture, the message, the main point, which God's word makes crystal clear for us in verse 44. We don't have to guess or figure it out. This is what the word of God says. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Beloved, the people of God have a destined future. We know how the story ends. With God's people dwelling with God, reigning with him forever. What do we know? We know that God's kingdom will break in pieces and bring to an end all the other kingdoms of the world. And so we do not hope in them. We do not fear them. We do not trust them. We do not live for them. And we also know more clearly than Daniel and his friends did. We know more clearly that Jesus Christ is the stone that will break in pieces all these other kingdoms. So these four kingdoms that are mentioned in the dream, they're the four kingdoms that ruled until the coming of Christ. And Jesus actually refers to this image in his parable of the talents, Matthew 21 and Luke chapter 20, I believe it is. He tells this story of the owner of a vineyard. This owner hired workers to work the field for him. And after a while, he sends his servants to gather the fruit from his field. And what happens when the servants get there? The tenant workers beat the servants and send them away empty-handed. They do this three times, and then finally the owner says, I'll send my son. Surely they will respect my son. And he sends his beloved son, and what do they do? The workers kill the son because they are deceived, and they think, oh, if we kill the son, then the inheritance will be ours. And Jesus says, what will the owner do? He will come and he will destroy 
the tenants. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And on anyone, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus is taking this imagery from Daniel chapter 2 and he's applying it to his own life and ministry, to his own death and resurrection as the cornerstone of our salvation. Beloved, we have the benefit of living after the coming of this Messiah so that the God who reveals mystery has revealed to us that the kingdom has been ushered in with the first coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not only a kingdom to come. We don't only have hope for the future. We have hope for today, for it has already appeared. Think about how our hope is more realized than the hope that Daniel and his brothers and sisters in Christ had in exile. Yes, they were given great hope. But we have even a greater, a a more revealed hope today for Jesus and in his death and resurrection, he has already won the victory. The kingdom of darkness has been defeated and the timer has been set. We don't know how long, but time is ticking down. And every day is a day closer. And every trial, every affliction suffered is one less. And not a single one is wasted, but each one is the context for God to reveal his glory in and through your life. Each one is the context for your great Savior, Jesus Christ, for his name to be praised. Each one is the context for you, his people, to trust in him, to wait upon him. Beloved, there is no limit to God's power to his might, to his wisdom, to his love, to his faithfulness, to the light he shines in your light. But there is a limit to the darkness, to the suffering, and time on them is running out. All of our trials, the kings, the tyrants, the governments of this world, they all have a shelf life, an expiration date, an appointment with the grave. Beloved, there are times in our lives, perhaps you have felt this deeply yourself, there are times in our lives when we face things and we suffer things that we cannot fix. We can't undo them. We can't make them right. And there's deep suffering, there's real pain and loss and a a sense of finality to those afflictions but there is also real and true hope and comfort. No man can, but God has. No man can, but God has. Jesus has come. And he truly is making all things new. He is the resurrection and the life, and he is coming Again, not to deal with our sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Beloved, are you waiting for him? 
You know, our failures, our mistakes, our sins, our sufferings, our losses, our trials, our afflictions, our sorrows, our pains, the impossible situations, the kings and the kingdoms of this world, they don't have the final say, the last word. What do they have? They have a scheduled bout in the ring with King Jesus. And he will crush them like chaff that the wind drives away. And they will be destroyed and gone forever. And his glory will fill the earth. Beloved, we know this to be true. God's kingdom is eternal. It shall never be destroyed. And it will not be given to another people. It is given to you, the people of God. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want to close by just pointing out the contrast between King Nebuchadnezzar and our King, Jesus, our Savior. Everything Nebuchadnezzar had was given to him. Did you catch that in the text over and over and over? Nebuchadnezzar, this has been given to you. God has given you. God has given you. Everything he has is given to him. Given to him by God. And what does he do? And this is what the kings and the idols of this world always do. He wants more. He wants glory for himself. He wants to take. He wants to destroy life. He is fickle. One moment offering rewards. The next threatening death for all. Beloved, our King Jesus is so different. Everything is his. Not given to him, created by him, belonging to him. Due to the nature of who he is, the kingdom, the power, the glory is all his. And what does Jesus do? He gives. He gives. He showers his people with love, with his eternal blessings. And he is not fickle. He is faithful. He offers life to all who trust in him. Beloved, you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Nebuchadnezzar serves false gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Jesus is the true God who humbled himself, who came down from heaven. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That phrase is not by accident. Jesus did not take life. He laid down his life for us so that all who repent of their sin and trust in him can live and dwell with the one true God forever. Beloved, may we not be deceived. The kings, the idols of the world cannot be trusted. They do not love you. They will destroy you. They have no power to bless. They will all pass away. Do not give them your allegiance. Instead, trust in the God who reveals mysteries, who is sovereign over judgment and salvation, who reigns forever. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. 
all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. Amen.